Welcome to Wind Up Weekly. I'm Matthew Gone. And I'm Katie Canfield. And we're here to share the week's news in wine. This week on Wind Up Weekly. More news on the frost that hit France and Italy. French industry could lose 2 billion euros, but government aid is a possibility. Small New Zealand harvest causing supply issues. Pink Prosecco, a rising new category. Latest news on tariffs with a proposed six-month suspension between the U.S. and the EU. And as ever, our Wine of the Week. So as usual, before we report on the headlines this week, our Week in Wine, and a big one for you, Matthew, although it's not necessarily wine-related, but you got your second vaccine. I did indeed, in Sonoma. And... Um, my arm is a little bit sore, but not actually as bad as it was the first time. But we'll see how it develops overnight. Um, got a little bit of sniffles, but I think that's due to hay fever as much as anything. But everything seems okay, and it was quite exciting. And it was so weirdly efficient when I just I just walked into the Veterans Hall in Sonoma and someone stabbed me in the arm with a needle. I had to sit there for 15 minutes to make sure that I was okay. And that was that. Well, unfortunately, it's not the case worldwide. Uh, We do know firsthand from your sister, actually, in Turkey at the moment, and there doesn't seem to be any vaccine in sight for them. And we know our friends in Europe, uh, it's not looking that great right now. And the U.S. for the first time is actually pulling ahead in terms of openings and and vaccine distributions. Um, But I guess we'll just have to see how long that lasts. I feel quite privileged, it is true, that I've managed, that I've been able to get uh, a vaccine. And um, you get yours next week, so we'll be in a good position. I hope the rest of the world is able to follow suit. Um, One other thing that I did this week is that I taught on Zoom, and I hope that is a thing of the past, um, as these vaccines have been rolled out uh, with fortified wine. So I taught about port on Sunday, which is a lot of fun. There's nothing better than uh, tasting port at 10am on a Sunday morning. Lots of good responses from the students. They're really, it's a diploma-level fortified wine, and so they're really engaged in the studies of the wine, which is it's just great to have people ask really interesting questions about fortified wine, which is sadly a style of wine that is not widely drunk as it used to be. And in the past, I've found students to be a bit hesitant about these styles of wine, but these students are really into it, and that was fantastic. As for you, Katie, you've got a couple of different webinar sessions that you've been um, engaged in. That's right. Uh, One uh, was sort of a hybrid. So, you know, now that we've talked about the vaccine rolling out, uh, we've talked about maybe, you know, more in-person things happening uh, in the near future. And this webinar in particular that I helped uh, host last week, uh, very behind the scenes, but it was in Hong Kong. So, I was working with uh, California Wine Institute, and we had Elaine Chacon Brown uh, leading a masterclass for a group of sommeliers located in Hong Kong. And these sommeliers were all together. There were about 20 of them all in uh, in a room together, but practicing social distance. And I was really impressed with the way that they had the, the room set up. There were plastic shields uh, between each of the tables. Each of the individuals had their own space, their own tasting space. So it, from my vantage point, um, from the screen, it, it all appeared uh, very safe. 
and uh, Elaine uh, broadcasted from here in California and you know she had the wines in front of her all of the sommeliers had the wines as well and it went very well I thought and I think this is something that we might see more of are these sort of hybrid events as we see certain countries and and certain markets opening up and others um, will take a little bit of time. And I read today that Hong Kong is in general easing restrictions regarding in-person tasting and drinking and restaurants. So they are going to allow a little bit of indoor dining and they've created kind of a timetable for allowing more and more of it. Although it has received criticism for being overly complicated. I have to say when I read the article, my eyes did glaze over a little bit about the the timings and the, the, the levels of regulation that are needed. But at the same time, it would seem that Hong Kong is opening up because it has been pretty strict in Hong Kong as far as I know and so I did glance over your shoulder for this webinar and I was like you it's like they're inside they're in person they're at tables they're tasting this is almost like it used to be yes and the next step would be that the presenter is there with the tasters yeah at the same time it's like why fly all the way to Hong Kong to present California wine when you can just do it from the um, the, the benefits of your living room <laughs> Well, and that certainly plays into the other event that I was uh, at least observed uh, this week, which is uh, the topic of sustainability. This was the California Sustainable Wine Growing Alliance uh, partnering with different uh, institutions around the U.S., so from Oregon, from Washington State, from New York, and they presented the U.S. Sustainable Wine Growing Summit. So this is the second annual event, and the first one was held in person and the second edition was supposed to be held in Long Island uh, in New York but unfortunately due to the current travel restrictions etc it was uh, moved online but you know again like we've said repeatedly in, in past podcasts is that there is some great benefit to moving things online in the in the fact that you get to reach a much broader audience. Uh, so all these things, travel, uh, bottle weight, etc., all of these topics were have, have been touched on of this three-day summit. And day three is going on now as this pod is released. And it's all been quite interesting hearing from different perspectives from wine critics, from wine growers, and what everybody is doing and, and how they view the consumer and what they want, what the trade wants, um, what the media wants. It, it, it's all looking like sustainability is here to stay. Uh, the consumers are growing more and more concerned about it and are it's affecting you know their buying decisions uh, across industries and wine not excluded and i can't wait to travel to get back to europe to see my family and go to wine regions but at the same time i'm very conscious that we all have to be aware of our relationship with the environment and with the climate and how that is changing and here in california with fires being a regular occurrence and then you have all this frost in france it's clear that the um, the climate is not responding very well to human behavior. So we do have to be very conscious of that. So it's good that people are spending three days to debate it and how wine is related to that. Because of course, wine is a natural product. It comes from the vineyard, but there's also a lot of other um, issues in terms of packaging and um, transport where wine does have a negative impact on the environment. So it's great to be able to discuss that. And more importantly, what solutions are possible? 
And that is really where the conversation needs to be going and where I think it is going. Now, on with the news. The pod reported last week on the severe frost that hit parts of France and Italy uh, two weeks ago. It has been estimated that the wine industry in France could lose 2 billion euros, such as the severe impacts of the cold weather. Yields are predicted to be down by an estimated 20 to 70%, so quite a range, with one northern Rhone producer predicting a 90% loss, while premium Burgundy could be down by 50%. In response, the French government has promised 1 billion euros in support for growers affected by the frost, which would be rolled out in the next two weeks, so quite immediate. One problem for growers is that only 30% of agricultural land in France is insured, falling to 20% in Burgundy, so they have no backup when weather intervenes. One grower who is insured said he pays €15,000 a year to insure 25 hectares of plantings, and that any payout would only cover 80% of expected income. In Italy, there are images of candles lit in Tuscan vineyards to keep temperatures above freezing. However, Barolo and Barbaresco and Piemonte do not seem to have been affected too badly, with some mid-slope vineyards most damaged as Budbreak had already taken place. On south-facing slopes, where we know the best vineyards are located, damage was limited. So trying times for our friends in Europe, as here in California, we face uh, the other end of the spectrum with wildfires, and, and we've already had a, a wildfire spark here in California. So there's a little bit of question of whether that's a premonition of what's to come and an early fire season, which no one wants. But we're all suffering in our different ways, you know, across across the globe. Just going back to our, our week in wine is, uh, I think, sustainability and, and really taking climate change seriously is going to be more and more in our faces as we, as we move forward. And we're going to report in a moment on tariffs between the US and the EU. But of course, these weather issues just make everything worse. If you're having difficulty in selling wine, to a major export market, and then you're having difficulty in actually making wine or having enough wine to sell. That's a double whammy that these producers have to deal with. And one more comment on the question of insurance, because, you know, noting here uh, in our reporting how, you know, only 30% of agricultural land in France is insured, um, that I think falls pretty similar to wineries and here in California with their fire insurance and earthquake insurance for that matter. Uh, it's, it's very difficult to deal with these natural disasters. Especially as the insurance company knows that these disasters do happen, so it's not going to be cheap insurance. That is probably why um, most of these growers and farmers don't bother with insurance. It's not worth the financial risk. Following on from the frost-driven news in France and Italy, New Zealand is also having issues with the 2021 harvest. It's anticipated that the 2021 harvest will be smaller than usual in New Zealand due to spring frost and cooler weather. The effects of the small harvest are exacerbated by demand for New Zealand wine over the last 12 months, which has seen winery stocks shortened. The expectation is that the 2021 vintage will be of high quality, the problem will be about meeting demand given the low yields. 
So usually when we talk about all this vintage variation and weather patterns, we're talking about European wine regions and wine producing countries, but clearly it's an issue for so-called New World uh, regions as well. And so New Zealand, with its cool to moderate climate, uh, does see issues with vintage variation. And then they have the double whammy of the fact that people have bought so much of their wine, they don't have backup. What a problem to have. Exactly. You would say that's a good issue, but at the same time, you want to sell wine and you don't have that wine. That is an issue. And just to uh, give a, a contrast, back in the late noughties, I think it was in 2008. And by noughties, he means 2000s. Yeah, I think people in New York called it the O's. There's lots of uh, different (laughs) descriptions of that amazing decade. But um, back then in 2008, uh, production was so high, they had to make sparkling Sauvignon Blanc because they had way too much wine with not enough demand for the wines that they just decided to turn Sauvignon Blanc into bubbles and make a, a benefit of it. And here we have the opposite problem. Did you try any of those Sauvignon Blanc bubbles? Well, when we worked at Hanging Ditch in Manchester, we had a bottle of uh, sparkling Sauvignon Blanc, which basically tasted like sparkling elderflower juice. Um, there were certain customers, and I don't want to stereotype, but let's just say women in their 20s who absolutely <laughs> loved it. They were down a bottle within like three minutes. And it was very tasty and fun and floral, and it's like Sauvignon Blanc. But that trend has not, as far as I know, continued because it's not very complex. It is just like an elderflower liqueur with some bubbles in it. Well, I was a woman in my 20s while I was working at Hanging Ditch, and I don't recall it at all, so perhaps I'm an anomaly. Well, maybe you drank so much of it, you just have no memory of it. (laughs) Also could be the case. Well, let's just keep on talking about bubbles. And maybe this one is a more sustainable category than sparkling Sauvignon Blanc from New Zealand. It's pink Prosecco. The rise of rosé continues. Italian sparkling wine Prosecco used to be just a fruity, aromatic style, but now it encompasses pink bubbles too. This is a style only recently ratified, but the wine industry is clearly keen to take advantage of its potential popularity. New York importer Biagio Crew Wine and Spirits has introduced a pink Prosecco to its all-day rosé range of wines, retailing at around $15 a bottle, which is a pretty nice price. Night is 90% Clara, which is the Prosecco grape, and 10% Pinot Noir, and it's been launched this month in time for the summer months when rosé is most popular. And then there's Kylie Minogue, whose range of wines was launched last year, and which the pod reported on. She's added a pink Prosecco to the portfolio, retailing for £12 in the UK. This wine is 85% Glera and 15% Pinot Noir. Her range has sold over 1 million bottles since the launch last May. So that's not the pink Prosecco, that's um, her rosé and white and red wine in general. And so the pod doubts that adding a pink Prosecco will do any any harm to the brand. Well, definitely not. And considering Kylie Minogue's fan base, I imagine that the pink Prosecco will go down quite easy. And I still get to taste any pink Prosecco. I don't think you have either, Katie. But um, I'm going to have to uh, scour the supermarkets to get a bottle of some kind of pink Prosecco. It is a really new category. But clearly, these producers are um, taking advantage of this new category because they feel it's going to be really popular. And given the popularity of Prosecco, you expect that pink Prosecco will be also extremely popular. But it'd be interesting to taste and just see what it tastes like. So we need to get a hold of a bottle and we'll report on it 
on the pod. Looking forward to it. EU Trade Commissioner Valdis Dombrovskis has proposed a six-month suspension of the tariffs between the EU and the U.S., following the four-month suspension announced in March. The U.S. is due to make a decision in June on its position regarding digital taxes, when EU tariffs on U.S. whiskey are also set to double. The four-month suspension announced in March, although welcome, has been criticized for not allowing importers and distributors time to plan for the year ahead. The next time period for the U.S. to review the Airbus tariffs is December, with which a further six-month suspension of the tariffs would coincide. Tariff news and tariff updates, we've been reporting on this for the last 18 months, and it's something which creates a huge amount of uncertainty for importers and distributors as well as producers in Europe, and it also affects um, US producers, especially of whiskey, who are exporting their products to Europe. And so all this um, controversy and speculation does not help anyone involved in the drinks industry. So it would be welcome if the uh, tariffs were suspended for a further six months to the end of the year, and maybe some resolution could be reached, but it's still all up in the air. As are many other things in the industry. So I guess 2021 will continue to be another anomaly in the fact that we're just a little bit uncertain of what's ahead. And now for a wine of the week, Katie, which is? Well, we got fancy this week. We've got the Le Fleuve Chevalier Montrachet 2013. That's a Grand Cru, baby. And it's $800 a bottle, current retail. Yes, this is what we drink on a regular basis. Not! Seriously, though, we do, of course, like to drink good wine. But we don't get to have wine this expensive that often. $800 is... um, That's pushing it. So why on earth were we tasting an $800 bottle of Burgundy? Well, this past Sunday, we had a blind tasting with our friends, Sam and Lori, uh, with each of us bringing a flight for a total of 12 blind wines. Yes, we are practicing for the Master of Wine exam. My selection was two wines, both made from Chardonnay, uh, the second of which most of the group deemed to taste like an expensively made wine. Air quotes there from Katie. And the group was certainly right on that. I had chosen the Burgundy Grand Cru uh, to taste alongside a Bourgogne Blanc, which retails at about $28. Right, so not quite as expensive as $800. We have to stress we did not pay $800 for the wine. Uh, The bottles are throwback to when Katie used to work at Wilson Daniels, which we learned this week are now going to import... um, Nicolas Jolie into the US, which is quite a coup for them. And they import the Flair and Domaine de la Romanie Conte, so you got to taste some good wine when you were working there. And some of Burgundy's most renowned producers. And so Katie managed to get hold of a bottle while she was working there. When it retailed for a mere $500, I remember looking it up just to see how expensive it was. But its value has gone up since then. And although we were very grateful to have this in the tasting, we appreciated it far more when we learnt what it was. Perhaps we would have been better off selling the bottle. (laughs) Because $800 is quite a lot of money. 
Well, there's always a moment where I feel like people just need to tell me no. And unfortunately, with the blind tasting, there's no one to tell me no, because I have to present it blind. So I was left to my own devices, decided to pop this puppy open. Very glad I did. I think we shared it with with the ultimate group of people. But again, could have sold it for $800. But ultimately, this is the thing about wine, is that do you want to open a bottle with the right people who are going to appreciate it for what it is? And that doesn't matter whether it's a $10 bottle of wine or ridiculously expensive bottle of wine. It's like, will they enjoy it? Will they appreciate it? Will it create a good conversation? And I think it did, because tasting it blind, our conclusion was that it was a 40 to $50 <laughs> expensively made Chardonnay from Burgundy and it turned out to be an $800 bottle (laughs) which um, again really made us talk about that wine. So Katie why does it cost so much and did it justify that price in your opinion? Well I think it just goes back to availability of these wines and the prestige of the producer of the house which they've built over years and years. Uh, Same with Domaine de la Romani Conti and you know auction houses etc have all driven up prices of these wines especially older vintages uh, and they're just not readily available so you know in terms of exclusivity then yes i guess you would say that then the price is warranted but when we were there and hearing the comments from the group who were tasting the wine blind uh, i could totally relate you know it's a very well-made wine and you know definitely a a high-end burgundy i would say but you know these really extortionate prices i think has always been a a a challenge and a benefit uh for burgundy wines in general there's a good summary of where burgundy is at in the fact that these wines are hugely in demand but small production and it has to be say massively overpriced but people are willing to pay those prices and that is an issue for burgundy because i think actually these really good burgundy producers would prefer if their wines were more accessible and more affordable but the market just rises raises the prices so much so even though this is a $500 wine on initial release within five years it's an $800 bottle of wine and there's nothing that producer can do about that and that is unfortunate so i feel very privileged to have tasted this wine it was delicious. It was delicious. But but to be honest, if I spent 50 to $60 on a very good Premier Crew Burgundy, I'd probably just be just as satisfied. And so it is a prestige thing. But yeah, we got to taste it. And thank you, Katie. And I don't want to sell this to some kind of collector or anything like that. We have the good fortune to have been have had access to a bottle of this wine. We drank it. We drank it in good company. We enjoyed it. We talked about it. It's definitely something we'll need to know for any MW exam. It's a good study wine for sure. And we'll remember that moment when we were together tasting this really expensive bottle of wine from one of the premier sites in Burgundy. And it does bring me back. And the thing with Burgundy is that it's a sense of place. And it does bring me back to a picture that I have of myself, which I think is on my website, of me sat in front of Chevalier Montchusset and the and the gates, and also the, the Lefleve kind of um, uh, plot, because all the plots are marked by the names of the producer, and just having that really romantic sense of being there, but having absolutely no idea what a wine from that vineyard would taste like because the wines were too expensive for me to drink, and 
here I was in California being able to drink it. You married well, Matthew. I did marry well. So not being able to travel, but still being able to taste those wines and sense, have that sense of being there. It would cost $800 to, to get there. So you may as well just open that bottle of wine and drink it. And with a smaller carbon footprint. Cheers to that. So thank you, as always, for listening. Uh, we invite you, as always, to rate and review the pod. Uh, we greatly encourage your feedback and appreciate it. And hope you'll join us next week here on Wednesday for another Wind Up. And next week, our Wine of the Week will not be an $800 bottle of wine. I can guarantee that for many reasons, but also because we do want to share wines that you can actually um access in the market broadly but that's what we're here for to bring you all the different aspects of wine um, to your feet cheerio mm-hmm.